Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. All right, Ben, so today's episode is an episode that is, uh, I, I don't know if I'd say near and dear to our heart, but definitely something we've been marinating in for years. Um, what are we going to talk about today? So today we're going to tackle the topic of military veterans and civilian work, hidden issues and potential solutions. And, you know, I think this is a, an episode that's relevant particularly to those people who are in the military or veterans who are looking for civilian work. But it's also relevant to everyone else because uh, there are you know, many veterans that come out of the military that are looking for work. Um, many of you may work with them and so forth. So I think this is really an episode for everyone. And as you mentioned, Chris, you know, you and I uh, have some credibility on this topic, given that, you know, we've both been around the military now for, uh, you know, between the two of us, uh, you know, many decades and um, have seen the complicated nature of transitioning from being in the military to working in a civilian environment. And we'd like to talk about some things today that I think are really important for both veterans and civilian employers. So we're going to talk about uh, a handful of these hidden issues. So what are some things we're going to talk about today? Okay, so we're going to talk about having an unrealistic transition preview. And, you know, hey, you know, I'm going to pop out of the Army or you know the Navy or whatever and just transition oh, uh, right into a role, <laughs> right? And sometimes it's that way. Sometimes it's not. And so yep. we'll talk about that. Um, geographic and flexibility. Mm -hmm. um, we'll talk about uh, danger, a sense of entitlement. And we'll talk about a knowledge and skills gap, as well as additional tips and ideas for both transitioning veterans and employers who want to hire them. Awesome. Yeah. And I think some of these topics are things that, uh, you know, if we, as we discussed when we were preparing for this episode, these are things that some of them are, you know, only a veteran can kind of say some of these things because we're not we're not going to take it easy necessarily on on veterans themselves either. Um, yeah, because... I mean, we totally kick bears. It's part of our daily life. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. So why don't we start with this first one, which is this idea of the unrealistic transition preview. And before we get started, I, I do want to mention that, you know, some of these ideas are also uh, articulated in a blog post that I put out um, a couple years ago now, and we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And this this blog post got a lot of traction out there in the the interwebs, uh, and uh, so you can check that out. But this first one is this unrealistic transition preview. So what's the problem here? Uh, well, you know, it's kind of, I mean, if you're in the guard or reserves or, you know, that's, you know, the weekend warrior, as some people call it, or M day mm -hmm. as you know, maybe people in the know would call it. Um, or active or active duty. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're active duty, right. Transitioning. You, if, if you show up, the army's giving you a job, right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be, you know, go clean that motor pool or go lead these soldiers or whatever. And then after a while, if you don't screw up too bad, at least at the beginning, you get a promotion, right. And so you're just assigned mm -hmm. your job. Um, and it keeps going. If you deny 
if you're denied a promotion, you're still staying working till your contract is out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as long as you don't, I don't know, walk pantsless uh, across the sergeant major's lawn. Yep. Heck, <laughs> you might even survive that. Um, yeah. But, uh, but <laughs> yeah, you can survive that, but probably not popping positive on a drug but test. You, right? you got it. So, so, yeah. so anyway, you're just assigned your job. But when you come out into the civilian world, it, there's no like job assignment board or something. Right. Right. You actually right. got to go yeah. duke it out with other people that want those same roles. That's right. That's right. And, you know, for me, uh, so I was active duty Navy for a number of years and then I went into the reserves. And so I really, you know, I went through this transition from active duty employment to uh, trying to get a civilian job. And I just remember, you know, in those first few years or even before I even was commissioned as an officer, uh, you know, this this idea that, hey, you're going to be a surface warfare officer in the U.S. Navy and you're going to get all this great experience leading people and teams and stuff. And, and that's, that's all true. Uh, but what they also, what people also said is, you know, people, you know, employers are just gonna, you know, be falling all, all over themselves <laughs> to hire you and, uh, they're going to automatically understand what, what you did and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, I was getting out and I was just like, this is really, really hard. I, there's so much stuff that I didn't even know that I didn't know. And I, you and know, what year was it, this Ben? So that would have been in uh, 2005, 2006 time frame. Yeah. So it was it was rough. And, right before um, our big little crash thing that we had, right? <laughs> yeah. Right before the economy tanked, too. And so, uh, you know, it's it's really important. You know, so there there's decades of research on this idea of having a realistic job preview. So knowing what you're getting into with any kind of role in a job and so forth, um, kind of knowing what it involves, warts and all. And I think the same thing is true of this military to civilian employment leap. So I'm, I want to be extremely clear here and, and, and try to speak directly to people who are in the military, who are thinking about, you know, their future, because uh, everybody does get out of the military at some point, right? So, you know, thinking about this employment uh, leap that you're going to have to make, you've, you've got to be realistic about it and understand that it's going to be hard work. It's going to be, uh, you know, tough. It's going to be an emotional roller coaster. There's a lot of stuff that you just don't know. Yeah, and and you don't have a civilian work identity yet, right? Right. Like Ben, yeah. what were some of the lame jobs you took in your transition? Oh, oh gosh, this is gonna like make me start crying. Um, so I had a, a so I got desperate, and when I first left active duty, and uh, because I was, and we'll talk about this later, but I was geographically constrained um, for a variety of reasons. I kind of went through uh, the process of looking for civilian work through some uh, headhunters and so forth. And, and I, we can talk more about them because I think they actually do a really good yeah, thing sure. in a lot of ways. Um, uh, but but once you become geographically constrained, it's very hard to work with a, a headhunter or you know an executive recruiter, whatever you want to call them, um, because of how they operate, right? So I was geographically constrained and I was getting kind of desperate. It had been a couple months since I had gotten out, which now looking back, I'm like, I, there's no reason why I should have been desperate at that point, right? right. It was so silly. Um, it wasn't like I was, you know, desperate to to pay the rent. My wife had a job. And, uh, you know, so I took a, <laughs> this is awful. I, I took a job with a bottled water company where I was trying to like sell water coolers. And like, <laughs> it's just like total cold calling. You like go into businesses and like, you know, 
hey, y'all don't have a water cooler. You want one? Uh, it was horrid. And um, no, no I offense mean, and, to the legions of excellent water cooler yeah, salespeople. Um, oh, sure. And and no, and, and and that's that's a good point. You know, it, for me, it was a it was a personality mismatch. Um, I didn't know what I was getting into. The region that I was assigned was already kind of unbeknownst to me, completely saturated by a competitor. And it was it was just a, a we'll you know, put the military person on it. He'll he'll charge yeah, that hill. <laughs> right. I think that's kind of what they thought. And, uh, you know, so I did that for I mean, I, I slogged it. I was doing like 300 calls a week. I mean, I was I was really hitting the pavement and getting out there. And uh, it wasn't going well, so great. I mean, so I did, we should I get you on su- that for a consulting firm, Ben. Well, I think he only <laughs> yeah. did 200 calls last week. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, and so, you know, I so after a while, I realized this wasn't going to work out. And I um, I left that and eventually got into another job as a writer and an editor for a university, uh, which turned out, which actually was a really cool job. Got to work with a lot of really cool people. But I was definitely underemployed at that point. I was making a, a lot less money than I actually was on active duty, um, and that kind of triggered my uh, transition into graduate school and so forth and so on. So it was not easy for me, and I know that this this kind of story is similar to um, you know what a lot of other people go through. Yeah. So, and I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a bias towards that it's going to be easy and awesome because some people mm-hmm. do land easy and awesome, right? Sure, and and more power to them. That's awesome. Yeah, like if you're General <laughs> Petraeus, you're a known quantity. You're gonna get a book deal, and I mean, even if you leave in scandal, yeah. you're at that level. You're landing. You know, you're like Sean Spicer. You're gonna land on your feet somewhere, <laughs> right? Uh, even if it's on Dancing with the Stars, right? <laughs> Is that where he went? He, he did a. Stint oh my there. gosh! Yeah, well, there you go. It's General Petraeus, you're missing out, sir. You got this whole. <laughs> anyway, so but I knew lots of guys when uh, like we were deployed. I mean, heck, some of these guys didn't even have college degrees. They're like, oh yeah, I'm going to get a six figure yeah. contracting job, or which I mean, for a while, it actually there was enough demand that some of those numbskulls got it, you know. But I remember talking as so I only joined and was in the guard. So I actually mm-hmm. compacted all my training into a year. So a whole year I was gone pretty much knocking out, you know, I came from an active duty family. So you don't you dare show up at your platoon untrained. So I did basic <laughs> training. I had like a three or four day week break or whatever. Then I went straight to officer candidate school. Then we had like a couple little days of break, and then they had this thing called Bullock Two, and then Infantry Officer Course, right? So mm-hmm. I I was gone a long time, so I got I got to see people um, on the active side. You know, I trained with them down at Fort Benning, Georgia, and you know they would talk about civilian world, right? Because some of those guys hadn't really been, you know, they'd been enlisted, and then they, you know, for maybe ten years then decided to go to OCS or something like that. Right. And then you'd pop out to um, your units and stuff and people, you know, there would be guard members that were active and they talk about transitioning. And I, I gotta say their concept of what civilian work life looked like was just off. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So there's this, I think it's a fairly pervasive, this unrealistic 
uh, transition preview. Uh, and part of it's just our natural human optimism, which is a good thing. But I think you also need to be realistic about it. So let's talk about some what are some potential solutions uh, to this uh, problem of unrealistic transition preview? What can some of these people do to help mitigate All that? right. So, and actually, I have these conversations, oddly, with these retiring colonels. Um, you know, mm. they're like, oh, what should I do? I was having a conversation last month with a guy who's retiring HR uh, personnel. He's made his career in HR, but he hasn't picked up some key things. Um, so you got to start planning for this military, post-military life, because, you know, if you sign up at 20, you're retiring at like 40, 45. You still got a lot of years of work left in you mm -hmm. um, that will be fulfilling. I mean, unless you just love golf that much. So so right. day one, you got to start thinking about that. So one of the things yeah. is the types of degrees you get. So if you use your GI Bill to go get a degree, um, you know, some of these guys are just like, hey, I just I can get the promotion points if I have a degree. So I'm going to get, you know, Sumerian pottery, you know, undergrad and like a basket weaving masters or something. Mm -hmm. Um, well, that's would be a really interesting career path. I mean, I don't know what do you want to do with that? No offense to the Sumerian pottery experts out there. Um, right. But you, you got to get a degree that has a narrative because your civilian employer is going to sit and say, well, cool. Tell us about your life. And yeah. they can tell and you're just checking the box or if your your degrees have nothing related to yeah. what you're doing. And I think along that those lines, and so this, I just do want to disclose my bias as a professor at a brick and mortar institution. Um, <laughs> but I think that there's, uh, I, th I think there's ample evidence to suggest that military people, uh, and really everybody, but uh, military people in particular, I think, get preyed upon a little bit by some of these for-profit online universities. Oh, they do, and it's horrible, and, and it's and and they end up getting, you know, in. They use up all their GI Bill, or they even maybe get into debt, and they end up with a degree that was, you know, maybe it even has a decent title, you know, but it, but they maybe didn't learn anything. Um, these are are not necessarily the the highest quality um, types of degrees, and even if they are, right now in the marketplace, I mean, there's enough like people. Maybe I'm just being kind of curmudgeonly, but uh, <laughs> you know enough people who have a bias against that type of degree um, that it's, it's, it's a tricky thing. So um, be very careful when you're choosing not only your degree, but also the institution from which you're going to earn that degree. Right. So, um, and, and this is just the brutal reality, you know, it, you could be unfortunate situationally, position because oh well i'm in germany and then i'm in uh, korea mm -hmm. so you may want to do an online program if you do right quality matters and so like mm -hmm. if you're in a super super busy part of your career yeah and you can't dedicate the time to get the grades and that kind of stuff be careful with that right yeah. um and there are there are good on online programs out there and there are many reputable institutions that that offer them so just do your homework yeah on this they stuff. got minimum barrier they gotta be accredited right yeah. and yeah. um i think there was some legislation around making sure gi bill could only be used at accredited things i i can't remember where that flushed out but mm. also a brick and mortar yeah we'll go on this side tangent a little bit 
a big part of your education is rubbing elbows with fellow students. Right. And for those of you who are in the military, this actually ties into another point that can help mitigate this unrealistic transition preview, which is staying connected with civilian life. Uh, you know, because you imagine, you know, if you're in the military for, uh, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, um, during that time, all of your civilian peers have been interacting with each other, learning things about their jobs and so forth. And to the degree that you can, uh, stay connected with the civilian world while you're in the military, even if you're on active duty. And I, I get it that this is hard. This, is, this can be very hard because, you know, sometimes, um, you know, military life can be rather all-encompassing, um, especially if you're posted at some, you know, you, you, you poor, poor people in the army get, get stuck in some weird places sometimes. And, um, so, you know, you, you may be in the middle of nowhere at some base and all of your friends are army and I, I get it. Like that's hard. Um, but to the degree that you can try to stay connected with civilian life, stay connected with your family, your friends, and, uh, you know, get out there in the community so you can have an idea and, you know, continue to build that network while you're in. And all of this has to start not weeks, not months before you're intending on getting out, but years. Yeah. I mean, there's still hope for you if you're just starting late in the game. So don't, don't sure. be a bummer on that one, but <laughs> say, thanks, Ben. Guess what? If you haven't done any of this. You're host. <laughs> <laughs> no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. So, um, yeah. but you know, if you can take, I know I did my graduate program and Ben, I believe your graduate program that you teach in has classes in the evening. Um, mm -hmm. that is something you can do because if you are, so if you're say a young enlisted person or something like that, and you're getting your undergraduate while you're still in the military, even if you move once in, but in your degree and have to transfer credits, which is a pain by the way, but you're building a portfolio of professors that know you, especially if you kind of see them outside of class, you're writing mm -hmm. them emails and say, Oh, I remember Ben, Ben was, you know tracking on this stuff he like he gave right. a rip um that that starts to build your portfolio of people in the civilian world that can vouch for who you are that's right and you mentioned something that i think is important to note too you said transferring credits uh so this is a lot easier if you're the you know the the institution from which you're earning your degree has an accreditation right so um if it's not accredited, just don't do it. I'm just going to tell you, yeah. if you've already started down that path, start over. Uh, it, God, <laughs> it'll be so, so challenging. Um, yeah. 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 So great. Um, you know, another thing in terms of some advice for people who are thinking about leaving the military is that, you know, depending on your situation, don't do yeah. it. Oh, Stay my God. In. You right? got four, four got kids and a dog. <laughs> right. I mean, oftentimes we, it's natural to kind of think like the grass is always greener. Uh, maybe we have some civilian friends who are doing really well and so forth, and that's great. Um, but depending on your situation, maybe don't get out. It, it could make a lot of sense to stick around in the military and, you know, stick it out to 20 years or, or whatever um, so that you can have, uh, you know, that stability um, during those critical points in your life, especially if you have, as you mentioned, have a family and so forth. And I think this is, um, I don't know if this is particularly applicable to officers, but, you know, people that I'm around a lot, um, 
uh, oftentimes, you know, think that they're going to get out and make more money. I know a lot of people, a lot of officers who get out and they make significantly less money, at least for the um, first couple of years uh, while they're kind of playing catch up in the civilian world. So, uh, you know, it, the grass isn't always green. Yeah, so I was working on setting up a this was for a large uh, organization um a they they wanted a civilian recruitment path or a military recruitment path and so we're setting up training we're going to do a cohort approach all this kind of stuff and i remember going and talking to somebody i'm not going to dime this person out but um somebody that was pretty senior in the tennessee guard about setting up this program and he's like well 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 actually i'm retiring soon throws me his resume I kind of review it with them. Um, I put him into an interview scenario saying, hey, listen, this guy's pretty senior is coming out. Would you like to talk to him? And it came back that this guy didn't even know the basics of his stuff, right? Mm. Some of these guys, at least, I mean, it's not everywhere, right? But just like civilian, I mean, anybody that's a civilian world knows a senior leader that probably shouldn't be there. Or, you know, right. somehow they have a political situation or they're really good at painting their pig a pretty color, but <laughs> they're just bad, right? They don't know. Right. And so when you're coming out as a senior person, if you don't really know, like your technical, like, I mean, if you know how to repair Apache helicopters, okay, great. You could probably hop right on in. But if you've just been right. at that kind of, well, I, I'm a very important person i manage two people or 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 whatever yeah. you know or even some of these colonels you know they i manage 600 people but everything's served hot and ready and they just rubber stamp everything mm -hmm. um this this guy was horrible and i've run into so many colonels right i mean these people are right they've been looked at for general a couple times general super competitive has actually a you know, civilian political element as they have to get rubber stamped by some civilian political people, Congress people, whatever. Um, I don't even know what it is. I just know there's some stamp there. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, so th these aren't like your junior people and a lots of times they're numbskulls. Right. And so if you're coming out, <laughs> I mean, hey, I've got my civilian hat on. I've seen you guys in interviews. You stink compared to your civilian counterpart. Right. So if you don't yeah. have those it's, transition, yeah. a realistic transition preview, some solutions, you're, you're, you know, like one of these guys has got to go get some HR designations because he doesn't know how many mm -hmm. employees you need to have before you, by law, have to get a breastfeeding room. You know, there's like, <laughs> I mean, that's just not something that they've been exposed to, right? So right. you yeah. don't have to stay in forever, but if you don't have a good transition plan, don't get out yet, right? right. Right. I, I think that's definitely something to consider. And, you know, another uh, thing that you can do, I think, to help with this unrealistic transition preview is along the way, develop good relationships and mentoring relationships with civilians. Right. So kind of as part of staying connected with civilian life, you can uh, look to build and maintain good relationships with civilians who have successful careers, um, be they family or friends or other people you've crossed paths with along the way. And this can at least help you kind of stay abreast of what careers might look like when you if and when you choose to leave uh, military service. So there are a number of organizations out there that kind of can help to set up these mentoring types of relationships. But I think that that's a, an important thing. And then I think the last 
potential solution with regard to unrealistic transition previews, just as a military member, manage your own expectations. Uh, you know, sometimes just simply embracing that reality or the notion that this is going to be hard is um, is helpful because if you set that kind of expectation, that standard, hey, it's better to be pleasantly surprised than to be just crushed. Yeah. And let me mention this one thing that I this was the first time I've seen this and this was absolutely brilliant. I knew this. I knew this colonel was going to do well before she got out. She reached out to some of um, her soldiers. Now, she was a full time guard person. She reached out to some of her soldiers and said, hey, listen, could I come job shadow you? And mm. and um, wow. It, so she went to several of these guys and it, this is in the technology field. So I.T. stuff. So she spent several days with different people that had pretty senior roles at these companies just shadowing him. I mean, it, right. they went right. to H.R. and said, hey, can this person come? shadow and see what this looked like and hr was like sure fine and so she yeah no that's that's she learned how civilians conducted meetings right i mean these Mm -hmm. you would you you wouldn't even think this would be a challenge like oh this is how meetings go oh this is how project management works um this is how kind of the whole social psychosocial element happens she's gonna land on her feet and, and she did she interviewed and got a job before she got out but when she's coming yeah. into those civilian environments, it's not like, uh, this is the first time, you know. Right. And one one vehicle for people who are on active duty um, to, to get this experience or maybe set up these kind of uh, relationships with people who know stuff about the civilian world is, hey, make friends with the people who are in the reserve and the guard who you may be around. Because some, not all, but many of them may have really cool civilian careers and know some stuff that, guess what, you don't about the civilian world. Um, Develop those relationships because you have the military connection already with them. You may work with them in some capacity on the military side, and they can be a resource for you in terms of getting your uh, kind of orientation and getting some, um, building some expectations and so forth, just knowing what you're getting into on the civilian side. Yeah, knowing how to dress. You know, like it's, <laughs> you know, the first time you go job shadow somebody or whatever. Yeah, definitely wear a suit. Right. And a tie yeah, or yeah. or whatever that equivalent is on the female side. And, and, you, and you know what? You know what? For all you dudes out there, please, please, please make sure that your shoes match your belt. Uh, I just <laughs> pet peeve. <laughs> i mean the the uniform in the military already makes sure that your shoes match your belt but that's something you have to do on your own (laughs) civilian side right you can do it and and this is something where you can just and you'll know because you'll get a glimpse at how the organization is and then you'll be able to dial that in but um okay let's talk about geographic and flexibility Sure. Yeah. So geographic inflexibility is tricky when you're looking for a job because guess what? Employers aren't tailoring their job to your desired location. Like they have needs in certain areas. And this is particularly true if you are working with a uh, an executive search firm, a group of headhunters. And there are a number of these big firms that special have a, have a division or a group that specializes in uh, transitioning military personnel. Uh, you know, so for example, Lucas Group is one of them. I've actually had really positive experiences with Lucas Group, even though I didn't end up getting placed at a job through them because of my ge- geographic inflexibility. Um, Orion is another. There's a, a handful out there. 
And they actually do some really good work, I think, because they can help to open the doors for military transitioning military members into jobs that they would have no clue even existed. Right. So I remember um, I got through a bunch of interviews with Stryker Medical to do medical device sales. This is like a long time ago. Um, ended up not going to Kalamazoo, Michigan. I needed to be in Charlotte, North Carolina, so couldn't take that job. But um, it opens doors. But this idea of geographic inflexibility can be really tricky for you. If you're working with an executive recruiter, a headhunter, um, or if you're just looking for work, if you're, you know, I am only going to take a job in this little town. Well, that's going to limit your uh, your your options. Yeah. So let me just bifurcate or split that open a little bit, right? So if you are um, a senior person and you can lock down an executive role, all that transition stuff before becomes. 10 times more important. Um, mm -hmm. Lucas Group and some of those other guys um, generally place with companies that are pretty good at onboarding um, somebody within a military background, right? And yeah. putting them in these kind of clutch roles. Um, same thing, if you're able, you know, if, if you want to go back and, you know, I was in the Alabama Guard for like seven years, okay? And some of those guys just wanted to stay in a small town like um mm -hmm. so you know they have like like talladega alabama will only have certain amounts of jobs right and mm -hmm. so you would need to calibrate your salary expectations stuff on what is available that being said if you want to like supercharge your earning or have a big career path having that flexibility to go someplace else is is clutch now Let's say you're in a bigger place. Let's put you in a place like Atlanta, Nashville, you know, the research triangle, you know, Raleigh-Durham area. Um, mm -hmm. You're going to have a lot more options depending on industry there. So if you're in tech and you're in one of those big towns, you, you can be kind of geographically fixed. But there has to be sure. enough companies in that town and, it, you know. For our civilian listeners, you're probably saying, wait a minute. You know, it's like, hey, in the military, we don't know that. You know, we just say, you know, move out to Germany. Roger that. <laughs> you know, see you there in three months. You know, and the army packs up our stuff and then we're there doing a job in someplace else. Right. So, you know, uh, if you're in tech or something, there's got to be enough stuff for you to make make that transition now, because lots of companies vary in whether or not they can promote within that. So. Like, you know, Allegis Group, Tech Systems, you know, the, these are mm -hmm. some of those firms that do really well keeping somebody in one place. So, and let me, this wasn't on our notes, Ben, but let me just mention a couple more things about working with recruiters. Get a variety of recruiters. So if you're Lucas Group, they're going to sure. place you all over the place, right? Because they get mm -hmm. those executive placements, you know. They're not as common as yield.net developer two roles, right? Or HR professional three type role. Um, so you got to have that flexibility. If you don't have that flexibility, the bigger town that you can be near in, uh, be near is it, the better, right? Um, mm -hmm. So if you're in Nashville, make relationships with several recruiters now and here's why so um if you uh 
get you want to maybe one or two large recruiters and then maybe two or three small mid-sized recruiters. One of the things is if you get placed by one of these guys, but see another role elsewhere, that recruiter that helps you get that role can't poach you, right? They, they generally have an agreement with that company that they don't try to hire off their own placements, right? Cause they're getting mm-hmm. some bucks. Every paycheck you get, they get a paycheck too. And, you know, kind of scenario, right? So, but those smaller guys, they can totally place you if they have a place. And the smaller mm-hmm. mid-sized guys may be more hungry to place you someplace because, you know, they need every, every dollar they get super counts, right? So you want to build that relationship with some of those recruiters, go hit hit a home run on some of your first placements, and they will help you navigate your career. So anyway. Right, right, right. And so, you know, uh, if you can be open to that employment anywhere, uh, another thing that you can do is if you are more geographically constrained, you've got to be even more strategic and more focused in your networking efforts. Right. Right. So, um, you know, get involved in that community, the civilian community, not, you know, you can't just be in your own little military ecosystem. You've got to branch out. Uh, ways that you can do that, right, could be through various nonprofits you're involved in. Maybe you can join a board, um, you, know, if, you know, even just like, you know, join the the local, you know, rugby team or whatever. All these kinds of things can give you exposure to other people who are who, with whom you may not otherwise be exposed, um, you know, and uh, all these things can then help you to to build your knowledge about what might be possible. Yeah, and then let's talk. So network is generally kind of a little skeezy right because it's like oh i'm let's be friends so you can help me get a job right like that that's Mm. that's such ew yucky that's like superficial bad network right so real networking is do stuff that you enjoy so if you love rugby join the rugby team you will have a blast you will meet friends you legitimately like having beers with Mm -hmm. maintain connections with them through email linkedin facebook whatever How's it going? Look, I got stationed in North Carolina. By the way, the rugby's really sweet over here, you know. Then when it mm-hmm. comes time for you to retire, you have this portfolio of legitimate, meaningful relationships where they actually know you and who you are. And they're like, yeah, man, there's this role at my company that would be banging. Hey, I've known this guy. We played rugby back in the day rather than... Mm-hmm. Here's a transitioning veteran that really needs some help. Can you, you know, that's, yeah. it just doesn't sound so good. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's nice to help the transitioning veteran for sure. Keep doing that. All you civilian people um, for sure. But uh, I, I think it's, it's, you know, this networking from a, a place of, of genuine connection and not just trying to manipulate other people into helping you is, is the way to go. Uh, another way that you can do this is if you're in a, a military specialty that has some sort of, um, civilian corollary like my, you know my area hr or um, it or something like a supply chain these types of things there are all kinds of amazing uh, professional organizations on the civilian side that you could join and one of the best ways to network there is not just like running around and like shaking everybody's hand but actually by getting involved in that that organization and you know 
joining their board or volunteering for a position because then people are going to get to know you. They're going to get to see you do some something, you know, take responsibility for some aspect of that organization. And if you do a good job with it, that's going to reflect well on yourself and they're going to be more likely to endorse you and help you with uh, potential needs that you may have. Um, down yeah. The road. So like in Nashville, you know, we had different, you know, people would host conferences um, Buddy Gaines started a developer conference that would happen every year and it got bigger and bigger, but you can volunteer to help at organize some of those conferences. Um, there's a .NET developers group in a lot of towns. Um, same thing with Java. You know, if, if you're meeting software developers and, you know, they'll generally have somebody, a typical format for these meetings is somebody will come speak on a topic and then everybody sits around and has like pizza and maybe a beer or something. Lots of times mm. these recruitment firms will host those kinds of um, events because they want to keep the tabs on talent of who's looking, right? This right. is a great time right. for you to start, you know, meeting people. Also getting professional designations that are meaningful in your um, field. So, you know, I one common thing I see a lot of veterans say like, oh, yeah, I have experience with project management. Well, yeah, you know, you got a lot of stuff done, but project mm -hmm. management is actually a formalized body of knowledge, uh, you know, documented in the PMBOK. That's a uh, project manager's book of knowledge. And then there's like agile stuff. You got to learn those actual formalized stuff so you can speak the right language and you can manage projects the way civilian people manage projects. Right. And one way to demonstrate that to civilian employers is through having your PMP certification, right? So that's kind of the project management thing. If you're in, you know, my world of HR, there are two different um, kind of credentialing organizations that you can uh, look into for getting different certifications. All of that can certainly kind of build your street cred as not just a, you know, high-performing military member, but also someone who has some knowledge of what's going on in the civilian world. Right. And, and you can talk. So when you sit down to an interview, it's like, oh, well, tell... You're not saying, well, I had my first platoon at the age of 24, and then I became a company right. command. I mean, they don't know what that means. But if you said, you know, yeah. I, I've always had an interest in human resources. So one of the things that the military helped me do was get my college degree. I got my college mm -hmm. degree in human resources. Then I did the following jobs. I managed these types of projects. I then got my master's and continued that journey and in like industrial and organizational psychology. I, mm -hmm. I mean, now you're starting to sound like a civilian, right? Rather than, you know, yeah. I was 18 and like, I didn't know what to do with my life, which who knows when they're 18, really? I mean, so <laughs> I joined the army and then... I know it's pretty great. They told me what to do and I anything they put in front of me I did a really good job at, which is <laughs> those are totally fine. Like I I know guys like that freaking great. It's just not as yeah. compelling as having this arching narrative. And and you could even yeah. have a change. So you can say, you know, I really thought I was going to do this. I joined the military. I got my degree in this cuz it made sense, but then, you know, you know, maybe you wanted to be an infantry officer when you started. But then I was really, no. as I was exposed to the work environment, I decided human resources was the way to go. So I got my master's in that. And then I started transitioning. Pete, those narratives make sense. They happen in the civilian world, but you got to be able to paint those narratives to a civilian employer. 
Right. And when you're talking with a civilian employer, uh, you know, don't talk in a, a that, that goofy voice that you just used, right, yeah, Chris? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> I don't know what is that. I don't know what that was. <laughs> Not going to work here. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just, you just, it has to make sense, the things you did. And if you're involved no. in these, you know, if you're going to some civilian night classes, if you're involved, you know, now this is your spouse is probably going to want to stab you for it. But you're like, hey, I want to take two days of our vacation time a year to go to a professional conference in another town. Mm-hmm. Right. You may have to pay for that out of pocket and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so uh, education conferences, maybe you're sitting on the board of the local Salvation Army. I don't know what it is. Right. When you go to talk to a you know, civilian interview, you're not going to be like, okay, well, so dude, what did you do these years? I did the following task, Roger that, you know, you're going to drop, drop that militaries, right. And you'll be able to flow in a civilian way and then make a meaningful connection during those interviews. Right. That's right. So we've talked about this idea of unrealistic transition preview uh, we've talked about, you know, this idea of geographic inflexibility as being some issues that can really be uh, harmful for your ability to transition out of the military. And you know, the next one that I want to talk about is one that I think is is kind of this one that really takes, you know, a military member or a veteran to kind of say to our fellow veterans and military um, members. And that's, you know, you got to get rid of any kind of sense of entitlement that you may have about you know how deserving you are of civilian employment. Yeah, um, we've come a long we've come a long way as a society, and I think we're getting kind of calibrated on a civilian view of the military, right? In the sense of you know you may have a different political persuasion than what the military's doing at that given time. But we're not stoning soldiers, some of which, you know, signed up out of a legitimate patriotism. As, you know, like we need a military, right? You know, not, no, absolutely. And, and right. we, I think we're yeah. calibrated in our view. But that, that being said, you know, just because maybe a civilian picks up your tab at the local Cracker Barrel or whatever, that doesn't mean that you're floating on, you're not better than the civil, your civilian counterparts. That's right. And I mean, I I don't want to overemphasize this point and say that, you know, all military members feel this way, but it's something that I've noticed a couple of times that I think can really get in your way of making this successful transition. And as you kind of alluded to, I mean, I am very grateful for the progress we've made in American society in terms of how the civilian world views military members. I would not have wanted to be in the military, you know, during the Vietnam War. Uh, I mean, that would have been really hard. I, and, and, you know, I think that the way we treated uh, military members and veterans at that point was totally disgraceful. Um, and things are much better now. Uh, but at the same time, as a military member, uh, you, you need to realize that nobody owes you a civilian job yeah. unless you can provide them with some sort of value to their organization. That's just reality. Yeah. So, like, you took a job with a employment contract and a a duty description and everything when you signed up now you're just transitioning from one company the military right to another company and Mm -hmm. they just have different cultures different norms and so nobody owes you anything um 
with that being said, with these other items, like you've got a great skill set, right? You've had awesome sure. experience, lots of times, you know, more in-depth uh, experience than your civilian counterpart has in certain types of activities. Great. Parlay that as a strength, but you still got to do some other stuff to make this stuff happen. Right, right. And so, you know, some solutions, I think, uh, w with regard to this issue of a sense of entitlement, um, you know, first of all, you know, as you are transitioning into civilian employment, you've got to remember to, you know, stay humble, stay hungry. Uh, you know, you do have some wonderful transferable skills, you know, uh, in the military, you have, many of us have the opportunity to gain leadership and management experience way before our civilian counterpart parts, which is great. Teamwork skills, problem solving, other stuff like that. But we also do have some stuff to learn. And, um, you know, don't be arrogant. No one likes it. Um, be humble. Be ready to learn. And another thing is, you know, get some help with your resume, too. Um, you know, there's a lot of great people out there, good organizations that uh, can help with this whole aspect of transitioning uh, from the military. But, you know, get some civilians or people who know what they're doing to look at it and say, you know, you need to rephrase this so it's not a bunch of jargon, right? right? Um, you know, you need to be able to talk about what you did in a way that makes sense to someone who may not have a military background. Why should we hire you? Well, I'm a colonel. And what does that offer <laughs> us? Well, I'm a colonel. I mean, right? That doesn't work. Nobody no, cares. No. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and and even if they do, I think approaching it with that mentality is probably helpful. You know, don't don't assume that people know anything about your military service or what it even means. Um, they don't know a whole lot, perhaps, about rank structure and so forth. Um, they may even have misconceptions about kind of, you know, what the military is even about. So, uh, you know, be humble, get out there, learn, and find ways to speak about what you did and what you can offer in a way that makes sense to the civilian side. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about knowledge and skills gap um, and what that mm. looks like. Right. So, you know, this is kind of related to the, to the ideas we just talked about, but um, you know, part of the problem when you're make, you're making this transition from being in the military to working in a civilian environment is that, you know, there's stuff that you just don't know. Uh, <laughs> you know, you have some great transferable skills and so forth, but, you know, as a, as a military veteran, that doesn't automatically make you God's gift to corporate America. Um, you know, it doesn't teach you're a you. You're example. a diamond in the rough, guys. <laughs> exactly. And I think thinking about yourself that way is really helpful. Um, you know, military service, for example, doesn't teach you the fundamentals of, uh, you know, civilian accounting and finance and marketing or entrepreneurship. Um, even a lot within the HR world is different in the civilian environment than it is in the military for sure. Um, and, you know, learning things about, so for example, you know, you may have a bunch of experience in managing people, but do you really know a whole bunch about, you know, civilian HR law yeah. or hiring practices and talent management and all that kind of stuff? Um, probably not. And so, realize that there might be some skills that you need to brush up on and really start to delve into. And, you know, we all have military members have done, a, you know, are very accustomed to going through training. Um, well, you know, just treat this as another training opportunity that you're going to dig your teeth into and learn as much as you can about the civilian world. Right. And, you know, 
some of these organizations, they tend to be larger ones. They actually have a veterans transition program. So they like, all right, we know how to take you numbskulls and turn you into civvies, right? (laughs) And that could be super helpful, right? You know, they'll have Uh maybe a couple classes on navigating the civilian environment, blah, blah, blah. You know, the civilian environment's not that much different. Uh, You just need maybe a couple of conversations to help dial you in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, in addition to that, you might be able to uh, seek some educational opportunities that are out there. Uh, You know, they could be um, certificate programs or leadership development programs that are happening at various uh, educational institutions. Um, And also, you know, look for those employers that do have a history of dealing well with veterans. Uh, So, you know, there are are a number of organizations out there that, uh, you know, kind of rate organizations in terms of how veteran friendly they are. Um, that can be a helpful way to to decide, uh, you know, where you might be a better fit. Um, some organizations, especially larger ones, have a dedicated person or even a department to helping transitioning veterans, which is, I think, just fantastic. Um, but that could be an, another way for you to kind of focus your job search and and have a better probability of success in that job. Right. And and get a civilian mentor. Somebody can just call and be mm-hmm. like, what what the heck was this? Or, you know, like email etiquette right. is one of the of two things about civilian culture that, you know, why can't you just say what you mean? Well, you know, there there's some of these items there. But, you know, if you've been doing your role planning, so when I exit the military after 20 years, because you guys should stay, um, you know, recruitment, rah rah there, but um, yeah. yeah, or transition to the guard, you know, those kinds of items. But you know, if you've started from the get beginning with a good plan, you've had exposure to the civilian side um, all along the way. You've picked up some mentors, people you can ask all along the way. You've been going to conferences, so you're plugged into a community of practice and thought around your desired industry or, you know, skill, you know, that you're a software developer or something all along the way. Mm-hmm. This stuff becomes super easy. As a matter of fact, you kind of cruise in for uh, as close to cruising in for a smooth landing as possible. Get those designations. I know some colonels right now that would be killer, but they can't even get past the stupid you know, everybody does this. They have these, you go online, you fill out an application, and they have some kind of algorithm that says anybody that doesn't have the SHRM HR designation or the PMP designation, mm-hmm. you don't even get a look at, right? Um, mm. And sometimes that's because they have like a thousand applications and they need something sure. to just whittle it down to 10, right? So get get those, you know, get those professional certifications as you're starting to wrap up or at some point keep them alive if you get a mid-career, right? Which means some continuing education mm-hmm. credits and that kind of thing. But yeah, that's going to be super, super helpful for you. Right. And by the way, getting those certifications and so forth while you're in the military may actually help you with your military job. <laughs> so that's kind of a cool thing too. You you may learn some things that would be helpful for you. Um, awesome. So we've talked about these four, what I, you know, what we call these hidden issues and some potential solutions for them, these ideas of unrealistic transition preview, geographic inflexibility, a sense of entitlement, this knowledge and skills gap. Uh, but there's another kind of group of things, and these are just kind of additional things, tips and ideas 
that we have come across in our experience or from working with other people um, for both transitioning veterans and for employers who want to hire them. So let's talk about some of those, starting with the veterans. What are some additional tips and ideas that we should share with our listeners? Yes, guys, you got to have cash, right? <laughs> Don't, you know, you got a big uh, truck payment and you've been blowing it out at Disney World with the family every year and you have no cash, stay in the military for a little bit. Build up some cash because that's going to give you, you know, to use a military term, freedom of maneuver. You know, mm-hmm. you can maybe be a little bit pickier about that first role that you take out of um, your military career into the civilian life. Cash will you yeah. know, reduce that stress. Yeah. So while you're on active duty, don't you know, go out there and, and get your, uh, you know, an expensive vehicle that you're going to have a whole bunch of payments on, right? Get the get the used vehicle and take some of your money and sock it away so that you can be ready and have a cushion when you're actually making that leap. Right. So um, as you transition out and you haven't done some of these things, you know, take a coding camp or something that will allow you to a network and let people know right away. One of the things I recommend doing is rather than just sending your stuff to a recruiter, ask to have lunch or take that recruiter out to lunch. Now, generally, those recruiters Mm. actually have a budget, so they'll probably pick up your lunch. Um, (laughs) But let them meet you so they can see that, you know, you know, you can zip up your pants and put your shoes on the right feet, right? (laughs) It goes, you know, because if somebody's just a digital resume, that doesn't give a sense of who you are. So when you're there, Mm -hmm. smile. Um, Let them see some of your personality. You know, meet them in a way like you're going on a good date, right? They Let them mm-hmm. get a sense of who you are because lots of times there's a, tons of people that meet that baseline requisite skill um, capability. But that personality and who you are is what really takes it to the next level. That's also they're safe people to practice that kind of networking interview kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So for organizations that are seeking to hire veterans, um, you know, I think there's a number of key implications and things that they should be thinking about. And the first one is that, you know, veterans can and they often do really have some awesome, valuable, transferable skills. You know, um, in the military, you oftentimes have the opportunity to uh, be in a leadership or a management role very early on. Um, The military has some really great ways to approach things like planning, things like uh, driving projects to completion, a mission, you know, accomplishing a mission. All these kinds of things are actually really, really useful and can be amazing assets for you as an organization. So if you're not an organization that has really thought a lot about uh, looking at transitioning veterans as a potential pipeline for talent, uh, give it some thought because they really can offer a lot to your organization. Um, so that, that's one thing that I think organizations that are seeking to hire veterans should be thinking yeah, about. So if you've got a big corporate organization where 30% of them just st- stir the soup every day and don't get anything accomplished, <laughs> <laughs> maybe not the best place, um, for a, a veteran who's a hard charger. All right. Because right. they're going to be like, right. why the heck is nothing getting done around here? Well, you come <laughs> with me, we're going to finish this. Right. And that's going to be a total culture bitch match. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But it could be good for you if that's what you really need. Go find one of those lazy O sixes. They can sit there and stir the soup for you. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> perhaps. Um, you know, I think it's also important for organizations to realize that uh, the military population is not this just one type of person. There is still a lot of variance within the veteran community in terms of personality, in terms of knowledge, skills, abilities, all those other characteristics, like any group of people. And so, you know, as an organization, uh, don't just assume that they're all going to be robots, uh, you know, and and thinking in one way and so forth. Um, do your normal uh, process that you would do for any good hiring type of um, procedure. So, uh, you know, still go through that type of process when you're vetting who you're going to hire. Yeah. So, and like, I don't know, this one's a challenge. I, I thought about bringing this up, but I'm, I'm just going to do it, right? Don't ask them weird questions about the war or deployments. Um, you know, I've been right. asked, like, did you kill anybody over there? I, why would you ask that? You know, just like mm -hmm. there's just certain things you don't go and ask somebody at a new hire at a company, and be like, oh, so are you more a boxers or briefs kind of person? <laughs> I mean, it's somebody looking at you like, what in the world does that have to do with anything? Don't ask people yeah. those weird questions. There's not like a socially scripted answer. And just like, you know, conversations mm -hmm. about a whole host of things that don't belong in the workplace. Those are questions that, in my view, at least, that, that don't belong there. Yeah. I mean, I think you can, uh, but at the same time, I don't think you need to be scared as a civilian employer, as a civilian to, you know, ask about, you know, some basics of their of their military experiences. Say, you know, so when and where have you served? What kinds of stuff did you do? Um, I think that's totally fine. And many military people, you know, appreciate that and like to share some of the, the cool things they've done. Um, many of us have been around the world and done really cool things. Um, and, you know, asking about that is totally fine and probably even a really great way to build that relationship. Yeah. And it, it if you traveled around the world and uh, done a bunch of stuff, you kind of don't have anything else to talk about, but traveling around the world and doing a bunch of stuff. Right. So. Right. Yeah. You know, and the other thing is, you know, organizations that are seeking to hire veterans don't assume that um, kind of like, you know, don't ask them whether or not they've killed people and stuff, but also just don't assume that all military members are broken toys that are suffering from PTSD who have, you know, been in uh, combat for the last decade. Now, some of them may be, but that is a, actually a very small percentage of military members. So, um, you know, <laughs> these are these are people who, you know, have have done cool stuff in their lives and their careers and uh, deserve a shot in the civilian environment. Right. And, you know, we're just like everybody else. Um, so. Yeah. Here's another thing that I want to say, and this is kind of a thing that's kind of unique to being in a guard that, you know, since this is a kind of our grab bag of practical tips. Um, if you're coming, um, if you're in college, right, and you're thinking, what am I going to do? If you're a hard charger that really wants to move up the executive ranks or that kind of thing, so here, here's a route, you know, people say, well, tell me what to do. Now, you don't have to do it. There's a million ways to skin uh skin the potato of life, so to speak, but <laughs> I don't know what that means. But anyway, um, <laughs> one of the things that I recommend and that was super helpful is, and this is totally a recruitment, you know, ploy here, but join the guard or reserves, right? Mm -hmm. So while you're in college, you're learning stuff. I mean, my first job was managing 40 people in an infantry platoon. 
right? Now, yeah. how, how senior do you got to be in organizations on the civilian side to manage 40 people, right? right. That's going to take you years. And, and so when you come yeah. out of college, you're generally an individual contributor. You're just going to be doing some tasks, and you got to get some technical competency in those tasks. Meanwhile, one weekend a month, you're practicing leadership skills for 40, 60 people, right? Or even a smaller team, 8, 10 people. You'll make those mistakes in the lab of life, but that's fine. Military does a good job of cushioning you and helping you out and be successful with training and coaching and support. So when it comes time for you to hit that manager role, you know, you've been out of undergrad for a few years. Maybe this is before you pick up an MBA or something. You get put in a management role and you're generally kind of in a cohort, right? Maybe four other people get you know promoted to manager at the same time. While they're struggling to figure that out, You've had like six, seven years practicing, right? I mm-hmm. mean, this is just my kind of prescription for life for people that you know want to go this route. But so you look awesome compared to your peers because you just you have more years of experience doing that kind of stuff. Stuff like you know running a plan, completing projects, communicating what you're doing, all those kinds of things. That's such a cool, unique way to do. Not only do you get to help your country out and do uh, really cool stuff and build other skill sets, um, Mm -hmm. it also helps you accelerate what you're doing on the civilian side uh, with your career there. That's right. You know, and I would echo the the recruitment message here. Um, You know, I so I served on active duty and then I went into the reserve and, uh, you know, it's been almost 18 years of uh, service as an officer by this point. Most of that has been in reserve. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it hasn't been easy at every point, but it by and large has been a phenomenal addition to my life professionally and personally, made lifelong friends, got a, a podcast co-host out of it. <laughs> um, you know, those types of things are, are really amazing. And, you know, like you said, you get to develop all these amazing skills, get to perhaps travel. And, uh, you know, along the way, you get to serve and wear the uniform uh, uh, and and support a country that uh, is the best country that has ever existed on planet Earth. So, you know, to me, that that is very motivating and um, and I love it. So uh, I hope that we've shared some some good insights here for both military veterans who are looking to get out. Um, as all of them will at some point. If you're in the military, you will need to make that transition at some point, as well as perhaps some insights that are helpful for organizations that are trying to look to hire some military veterans. Yeah, thanks for listening today, guys. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.